0: So because he's good, I would like for you all to give, and then you guys can just go ahead and take off for the day. <laughs> I was just joking. I mean, no, not about the giving part, but uh, about the leaving part. So so, <laughs> uh, so last week we kicked off this brand new series called Rerouting, and we began to look at why Ionia, what um, what is the well to do here? And I, so we looked and we talked about our new vision statement. So the, the well exists to impact Ionia with the gospel uh, by, by us, by people learning uh, the Bible and then living out those biblical truths. So that's why we exist. And then we looked at the what. So, what do we do uh, with our why? And so, our, our what was to help everyday people uncover life-changing truths through Christ. That's our what? That's our mission. That's why uh, God has has allowed for us to be here. And then we looked at these four core values that we're going to be going through every single week uh, for the next couple of weeks after today. So last week we looked at our gathering and what should our gathering look like? What does it entail? How do we gather? Uh, And and then we looked right at God's word in Acts chapter 2, and we saw these different aspects. And today I want us to talk uh, about the next G, right? Our four Gs, gather, give, grow, and go. So today I want us to look at our give, our give. What does it mean to give? Now, uh, most generally in churches, you hear the word give, and people automatically run to the pastors talking about money, and then people don't show up, or they get really frustrated, or they completely tune out. So I'm asking you right now, lovingly, in the name of Jesus, don't turn, do not turn off, do not tune me out. Uh, we're going to go right back to God's word and see an example of giving. But before we get there, I would like for you to please turn with me to the book of First Kings. First Kings. It's in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, it's on page 422 in my Bible. Three hundred eighty-seven. All right. So, First Kings chapter seventeen. First Kings seventeen. So, I heard a story of two men uh, who were on a private um, a private jet, and their private jet crash landed um, on an unknown island. There was nobody around, no resources, uh, no people. And the first man that enters uh, the island from this crashed um, jet uh, starts frantically pacing back and forth. He's anxious. He doesn't know what's going to happen. The next man comes out of the, the jet and he begins to set up an area where he could lay in the sun and sunbathe. The first man turns to the man sunbathing and he said, what are you doing? We are going to die out here. The other man turns and he says, no, we won't. It'll be fine. And so the first man goes, how do you know that we're not going to die? So the man sunbathing looks over and he says, well, I make over a million dollars a year and I faithfully tithe to my church. My pastor is going to find me. (laughs) <laughs> as humorous as that story is, it identifies a key reason, though, why many pastors and churches avoid the topic of giving. There is a perception, and in many cases, a reality, that pastors are only motivated to preach on giving when it has to do with making sure we make budget or there's some big expenditure like a building program. It seems like those are the only two realities for people that it's selfish for the church to actually ask for people to give. However, do you know that there is no other topic of spiritual growth where we believe that it just happens without talking about it? Do you guys catch that? There's no other topic in the church that we talk about people growing in that we say you don't have to do anything about it. You don't have to talk about it. Sanctification, right? Change. We always point you back to God's word because God's word helps you grow. God's word helps you change. We talk about discipleship. We talk about baptism. We talk about classes that people can take so they can learn, so they can be changed and grow. And yet people have the assumption we just don't talk about giving and people are just going to automatically start giving, both monetarily and of their time. Now, I've come to realize though, um, that we are not matured disciples, not devoted followers of, of Christ if we do not embrace the reality that materially we are stewards, not owners. We are stewards, not owners. Now, if churches and pastors have somehow communicated that stewardship is primarily about fundraising, then we as pastors have to change the mentality. Because stewardship is not about fundraising. Stewardship is about submitting to God and his authority. That's what stewardship is. And so for us as a church, we learned last week that we have to gather. God's word tells us to gather and what that should look like. Now, for us as a church, we also have to be a giving church. Would you guys agree with that? We have to be a giving, and not just a giving church, but we have to be a give first church, a give first first church okay now giving in a sense is a deep personal indicator of our spiritual maturity it tells us what we love we give to what we love both monetarily and of our time if i were to ask you to see your bank account statement i would know what you love most I'm not asking you to print them off and bring them to me, but I'm just saying if I ask you, if I ask you, if we actually go back to Scripture and we understand what Jesus talked about throughout the Gospels, He said our treasure is an indication of our heart. Our treasure is an indication of our heart. Giving is in fact a spiritual issue And a relational one with the Lord. A relational one. In order to truly yield to God ownership of our possessions, we must evaluate how high we have placed God as a priority in our life. We must. We do not just give monetarily, though. We do not give just with our money. We give with our time, we give with our talents, we give with our treasure, and we give with our touch. Our time, our talents, our treasure, and our touch. I told you I would have acute attacks of alliteration, okay? We decide in our life how much money we're gonna spend on an appliance for our home. We decide how much we're going to put into savings. We decide how much time we're going to invest in our children. We decide how we're going to use the talents that God gives to us. These are all decisions. And do you know that even a decision not to give of our time, talents, treasures, and such is still a decision about giving? Do you know that? If I decide not to give, I'm still deciding that I'm giving something, and that is nothing. And in churches... We are so scared to touch on this topic because people want to hoard what is theirs. People see the responsibility of giving as a burden when it should be done exactly the way Jessica said. And that's joyfully. God himself says in his word that he loves a cheerful Giver, One who is joyous. Why do you think we call it joy offering? Joy offering. God Himself loves a cheerful giver. The ultimate outcome for us as stewards should be giving as an act of worship to God. Giving should become a way of saying thanks to God for his blessing and provision in our life. Giving should become a deep personal sense of connection with God. And we're going to see these things in Scripture this morning. We're going to see what happens when we trust God with our time, talents, treasures, and touch. We're going to see. And so I would ask you to please, please, please read with me as we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 17. And we're going to start in verse number eight. And it says, When the word of the Lord came to him, he's speaking of Elijah here. And he said, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her saying, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Whoa. That just came out of nowhere. Like, hey, we're going to eat our last meal and then we're going to die. Yeah. Yeah. Right, but look what happens. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, in verse 13, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make some, something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be emptied until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, And she and he and her her household ate for many days, and the jar of flour was not spent, and neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that was spoke by Elijah. And this is God's word for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now, Lord, and I ask that you would please steady our hearts as we begin to dive into this topic of giving. God, help us not... Uh, to stiff arm the Holy Spirit in this place. Help us to be open to receive from you today what we need to know, learn, and understand about your word and about giving. Um, Not just of our money, but of our time, our talents, our treasures, and our touch. So God, please use this passage of scripture uh, to minister to us today. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. So I want to give you a little context now, and I waited until we read the scripture. Typically, I would give you the, the back story and then I would read the scripture. But I wanted to wait today because there's some significance to it. This passage of scripture is providing us a perfect detailed picture of God's provision for people who trust and obey him. If you know anything about this location, Zarephath, where she is located, it is just outside of Galilee. The time has been three and a half years of no rain. That means there are no crops that have been grown at all. Meaning this is my last meal. This is the last little bit that I have and I'm going to die. And God sends Elijah to this woman who's living in financial fear. I have nothing There's this ominous sense within her that my life is going to be over, my child is going to die. Now, this woman is a Gentile. She's living in a pagan nation and God is sending Elijah, who is Jewish, to go and speak with her. Most people miss this in this portion of Scripture that she lived in a place called Sidon. It was the same place that widows and those who were poor were left outside of the city on the outskirts. They were not taken care of according to Jewish law. They did not have to. They didn't follow what was laid out in Scripture to do for these women. These women and children were the ones that were always left to die. They would have nothing at all. And so here, Jesus, or God is saying, "Go, Elijah." Go and talk to this woman who is a Gentile, not only a Gentile, but poor. She has nothing, and you're Jewish, and I want you to go. And so he gets up, and he goes. Now, for those of you who know the backstory here of Elijah, he was actually hidden in a cave for the last three and a half years. He was in a cave, and he was being fed by birds to keep himself alive. In this area of time, Elijah feels alone. He feels like there's nobody there who's sharing God's word except for him. And now he goes. He shows up and he tells this lady who has nothing, I'm thirsty, get me a drink. So she said, okay. I I, I have some source of water here in which I will get this for you. And as she goes to do it in, in, in desperate um, plight of her situation she's going to help this Jewish man and as she goes to walk away it's almost as if Elijah gets another jab in and says oh while you're at it bring me something to eat while you're at it and she's like I I don't have anything I have nothing baked I have nothing here for you and this little bit of food that I do have left is going to be my last meal it's it It's over. My my son, my child and I are going to die. And yet he pushes just a little bit. If we look back to verse number 13, he does not back down his request. He says, do not fear, go and do as you have said. So he's like, go and make what you said you were going to make. But first, make me a little cake and bring it to me. Sounds a little selfish, doesn't it? Like, make me first. You ready? It's not selfish at all. You want to know why? Because Elijah was the representative of God. He was speaking exactly what God wanted him to speak to this woman, the representative of God. And he's saying, God is sovereign obey his word that's exactly what He's. no he doesn't word it that way he's telling her do not fear go do what you said but give me mine first and as God's representative he says a miracle will happen if you give a miracle will happen so this woman has a decision to make here There's a decision that must be made. Do I divide my very last meal and give it to this man? If I do this, my hunger pain will not subside tonight. The chances that I will go hungry quicker are sped up because I have given away the last of what I've had. This is the situation she finds herself But this man of God has promised a miracle. How? How could this be? Do I really believe that God is going to provide? Do I really see it? Do I really want to go hungry today and not tomorrow? But we see she decides to trust God. She decides to trust and perhaps maybe with a little bit of doubt she thought to herself what do i have to lose what do i have to lose she makes the bread divides it give elijah his and then for herself and for her son but i want us to go back and read quickly in verse number 15 and it says and she went and did as elijah said and she and he and her household ate for many days. For many days. And it says, in the jar of flour was not spent, and neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. God did the miracle. God did the very thing that he said through Elijah. I will ensure that you are taken care of. He did it. It's right there. Do we have to go back and read it? Yes? No? Say no if we don't have to. Like I just read it out loud to you, right? God did the miracle, people. He did exactly what he said. Why? Because God doesn't lie. Someone say amen. God does not lie, okay? God said I will provide for those who are obedient to me and that's exactly what he did. She was obedient and God provided. This is not, what do I do now? This was, God showed up the way he said he would. That's the way that God works. This woman of faith gave her first bread. And guess what? God gave her back her daily bread. Did you guys catch it? She gave and God gave back her daily bread. This is another picture here, people, of the importance of giving God our time in Bible reading and in prayer. And I don't have time to dive into it, but this right here is a perfect picture of why we should spend time with the Lord. We do not know how God performed this miracle. We don't, we don't get the manual to God's how-to of how I provided the flour and the oil. It doesn't say. Maybe there was an angel that was given in a special assignment every single day to go and provide. But in some way, here in Scripture, and we do not know how, we know that God continuously gave to this widow and her son every single day after. We do not know how. Now, I imagine that life was never quite the same for this woman after this experience. Here, God was not a distant being any longer. He became a divine provider for this woman. A divine provider. How many of you in here have ever, ever experienced the divine provider? And so it doesn't matter how I've experienced it, right? Did God become different to you in that moment of time? Even if it was for the next couple of weeks, like I was taken from the valley and now I'm on a spiritual high because God provided right when I needed anybody. Just, just the path. No. Okay, great. That's what happened here for this lady. He personally cared for her. And you want to know what's awesome? God still does that today. He personally cares for people. Do you guys believe that? Do you know that 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. He's saying, I take care of my own. It should be no surprise to us as believers that God uses, though, the area of giving to test us and to grow us. And that's exactly what we see here in Scripture. We see it right here. God is taking this passage and making it personal. He's saying, I want you to be mine and I will test you and I will push you. And when you are obedient, I will bless you just like my word says that I will. I will take care of you. But this passage here though, there's something that we have to take note of. And for those of you who are gold star students and you take the extra notes, I want you to see this. This passage is not just about God's reward for giving. It's not just about the reward that comes with the giving. This passage here pulls back the curtain on God's desire to connect with people relationally. To connect with them. The widow who fed Elijah believed God's promise and got to know and enjoy God because she trusted Him. Because she trusted Him. She gave in a posture of worship. This is my God. Giving was the crucial element here and it still is today for us to connect with a holy God. Giving. Do you understand that at salvation, you have to give up yourself? Do you understand that? You're saying it's not about me. Like I'm giving myself, my past. I'm giving it all up so that I can walk in freedom. The giving starts from the moment of salvation. And then giving should happen for the rest of your walk here on this earth. Woo! So there are three things, though, that I want us to see. Crucial things that we need to see in this passage of Scripture this morning. The first one is that giving establishes our humility before God. Giving establishes our humility. Um, It's tax season, and that's everyone's favorite time of the year, right? What is it called by the IRS when someone gives away money or things to another person. It's called charitable giving. It's called charitable giving. That's what the IRS calls it. Now, there's something very wrong, though, about this. Charitable giving defined by our world is this. Giving some of what we have to help out people who are in need or who are suffering. Now that that phrase, that definition does not sound bad, does it? Like giving some of what I have to help people, that doesn't anyone think that's wrong to give? Great. But the world's way of thinking here and the IRS's way of thinking says that the people who give are benefactors. That's what it says. The benefactor gives to the recipient. There's a superiority concept that comes with the world's way of giving. I'm the benefactor and I gave to someone who is in need. It makes the needy person at times almost feel low, like I don't belong, like I shouldn't even receive this gift because I don't have. And that way of thinking is not biblical. That is not a biblical way of thinking. Why? Because the giver here in this context, is not the benefactor. The giver is submitting to the benefactor. The giver is submitting to the one who already gave. That's why we should give. God does not need my time, my talents, my treasures, and my touch. But I give to them because He gave the ultimate sacrifice for me. And that's why we should give. This is not about having superiority, or superiority over somebody else. Because guess what? You are never going to be better than God. Never. Giving should be done to say, God, I'm, I'm rightfully humbling myself to give back to you what's already yours. What's already yours. It's putting my relationship with God in perspective to say, God, you are the owner. I'm the steward. You are the owner, I'm the steward. I want you to see this verse that's going to come onto the screen. Deuteronomy 26. It says, The Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and he gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of that soil, uh, of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before Him. Do you know that steward, the stewards who give, um, who give to God, are not superior at all. None, not even a little bit. The, the The steward is to bow down. Could you put that verse back up there for me, please? The steward is to bow down to the benefactor. This is Israel speaking. Back to God. And they, they are saying. You can leave it right. That, that one that we just had up there. Right there. It says. And now. Go forward. Go forward. Right there. Perfect. Stop. So it says. I bring the first fruits of the soil. That you O Lord have given to me. It's saying it already belongs to you. But I'm, I'm going to give it back to you anyways. Like God, I'm going to express gratitude for the blessing and provision that you have given because you alone are the owner and the benefactor, and you've blessed me, so I'm giving it back to you because I do not own it. I'm just here to steward it. And that means everything. That's just not our that's not just money, people. That's not just money. God has given every single person in this room a talent, a, a gift to be used to glorify God. God, whether that's vocally, whether that's teaching little children, please do not teach in our children's ministry if you do not love kids, okay? But God has gifted some of you in this room the ability to have the patience of a dead saint with our children. And you can take everything and you're going to be like, Jesus loves you and it's okay. Let's just sit down, right? And there are some of you who can play an instrument and you're not using that gift or, or that talent to glorify God. You're letting it go to waste. But that's not what this is. I trust you, Lord, because you've given and I'm going to give back. And for us... It doesn't mean that it's about giving people things. This is not about giving to the church. This is not about serving in the church. This is about a you in a God thing. You in a God thing. And when you're not not right vertically with the Lord, it doesn't matter what you try to do. Ain't nothing out here going to work at all. Nothing. That is where the world's view of giving and the biblical view of giving are totally, completely different in opposite directions. Completely different directions. If we give to other people or we give to the church with a smug attitude, We are tipping our hand that we are not stewards of what God has given to us. We are saying that I'm the better one. We should never give ever to have our name put out there like I'm the the best giver. We should never give to have our name placed on papers and on plaques to have them plastered around to say, I gave. Never. That's That's what the Pharisees did in the New Testament. The Pharisees gave so that people would see what they were doing. Moses said in that verse that's right there on on the screen, he's saying, God gave us the land and God gave us the blessings. He was pointing all of the recognition back to the giver, back to the, the benefactor, God himself. God himself. And by giving... Back to God, they were saying, you have temporarily placed us in charge of this little bit, but it doesn't belong to me. I'm going to steward, I'm going to care for it well, and I'm going to see to it that your kingdom goes forth. Not mine, not Jessica's, not the well's, but God's kingdom. God's kingdom. So the second thing I want us to see this morning is that giving... Is an expression of worship. Giving is an expression of worship. Um, is there anyone in here who likes to look at maps? Like you see a map. I'm not talking about like driving with with a map, like 1985. I'm talking about like I just I like to see maps of of countries in the globe. Like anybody? Okay, so. Um, I'm, I, I love geography and I love to look uh, just at just unique places uh, around the globe. But one of my favorite things to do, and do not laugh at me, uh, one of my favorite things to do is to get online to Google Earth, because uh, you can do this digitally for those of you who didn't know, and go on Google Earth and I like to type in exact locations or I like to zoom in like extremely far into places so that I can see like the sky view. And so I did this the other day and I, I looked here at this building, this property, the church property here from the outside. And the day that that picture was taken, I could see cars outside. I saw Jessica's car actually outside. Um, and I'm, I'm like looking at all of these different things and I'm like, this is just so cool. And then I'm like, I'm sitting here and yes, I was, I was totally wasting time in that, that moment. But I figured one day I could use this as a sermon illustration, and here we are. And so the next moment, I was like, oh, I want to see my house. Like, I want to see my house. And so I go back to the, the, the outside view of the globe, and I zoom, 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 all the way in, and I could see my house. And I could see our little, our little garage, and I could see the, the dilapidated Um, Outhouse that is in the back of our property. And I could see all of these things. And I'm like, this is just so cool. And I, I was just in this moment of awe, but yet something struck me in that very moment of time. I was struck by the fact that the computer had to zoom hundreds of thousands of times to my tiny little place. On the map. And in the perspective of earth, it was but a blip. But a blip. And I thought to myself, what if, I, what if we owned the 10 acres from here to here? Or what if we owned the 25 beyond that? Or the 50 beyond that? And then I thought to myself, in that same moment of time, I would still own very little. Very, very little. A sobering thought comes out of Psalm 24, 1 that says that God owns the earth and the universe there in it. What a sobering thought. God has allowed for me and my family to own a little piece, or to to live on a piece of property. And as we've talked multiple times about owning this grand, massive plot of property, my thought always comes back to how would I utilize that property to glorify God? Would I bow down and worship God? Because of the property that he allowed for me to have? Do I bow down and worship God for the house that I live in currently? Do I bow down and worship God because of the job that he allows for me to have? That provides for my family? Do I bow down and worship God because of the vehicle that gets me back and forth? Do I bow down and worship God because I'm able to provide groceries to cook meals? Do I bow down and worship God? Because honestly, giving back to God is that very thing. Bow down. Bow down. This is not me and my things, or Bree and I's things, or the Cahill things. This is a God thing. A God thing. And my response to what God has has given to me as a provision and, and, and a blessing should be an act of bowing down In worship. I'm getting on my face before you God. Because without you I wouldn't have any of this. None. I'm going to just go here for a moment. The book of Romans chapter 1 tells us that there are people in this world. And this is the worldly perspective here people. The book of Romans tells us that there are people in this world world that very blatantly deny the existence of God even though he has given to them you can see God in creation he has given us this life and people deny and you want to know what it says that that started from the denial of the existence of God came from thankless hearts Thankless hearts. What a very sad place to find yourself. Thankless before God. But that thanklessness leads to not giving. Why? Because you're saying that I don't have enough for me. What was never yours to begin with. Bow down. Because God is great. The widow had a very tiny portion of flour and oil and it served to acknowledge the very greatness of God because he was the one who provided the crops that made the flour and oil. Our gift might be big to us because it's a sacrifice. But to God, it's big only because it acknowledges that he is the only infinite owner. The only infinite owner. This little bit that I call giving is actually just my way of saying, God, you own everything. The the tiny piece of of bread that was given to Elijah or the, the check that you write to support the church or the few hours a month that you give to serve in a ministry is big in God's grand scheme. Only, only if the gift acknowledges and worships the real giver. Do you know that giving is literally an act of worship? Proverbs 3, 9 tells us, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the firstfruits of all your crops. Do you know that word? Honor there in the Hebrew comes from the word meaning to glorify. To glorify. It acknowledges the importance of, of something. And in its root word means something that is heavy or weighty. Heavy or weighty. Thus having significance. When applied to God, honoring Him means that we're ascribing worth above all things. When we bring our first fruits, so our gifts, our talents, our treasures. When we give these things to God, we are saying that God is the heavy weight. Of our life. That's what we're saying. He is my number one priority. And my needs are secondary. All of my needs are secondary. Giving trains our heart. in relationship with the Lord. And the last thing I want us to see because of that. Is that giving expresses our trust. Giving expresses our trust in God. I have a question for you this morning as we uh, begin to close. Do you trust God? Do you trust God? Do you really trust God? I want you to think about that. From Don't answer out loud. Don't raise your hand. Do you trust the Lord? Do you trust what he's doing in your life? Do you trust what He's going to do in your marriage? Do you trust what He's going to do in the lives of your children? Do you trust? Because giving to God says, I trust you will provide. Giving is the key training ground to God that produces that trust connection. Go back and read through the book of Malachi. Malachi says this and only one of the verses are going to come to the screen. It says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. This is God saying my house. He says, test me in this. Test me, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. Go back to the book of Exodus, when the entire church was building the temple. Every person brought and gave of their own time, talents, treasure, and touch. And it got to the point where Moses had to tell the people to stop giving because we have an abundance of. Could you imagine if I stood before you and said, you no longer have to give to us because we have way too much. That's what happened in scripture because people understood what it meant to give back to God first. They understood because it was reverent worship. They were like, this is it. And it was all based upon a trust relationship. Because God provided and provided and provided and provided and provided over and over and over and over again. And He still does today. Still does. Well, that's great. That's great, Pastor. So what do I do? Trust God. That's hard. Would you guys agree that trusting God can be hard at times? That's hard. So how do we learn to trust God? How do we learn to trust God? Now, please do not take this and run with what I'm about to say, okay? But Malachi 3.10, right there on the screen, what does he say? He says, test me in this. Test me in this. I'm not asking you to go home and be like Gideon, okay? Do not throw a fleece out every single time something happens. That's not what I'm saying. That's not trust. But why don't, you, why don't you start giving of your time, your talents, your treasures, touch, and watch. Watch and see God move. Watch and see. Watch and see. So for you today in this building, for those of you online, only you know, only you know what God is calling you to do. And as we've been talking today, something has already been stuck in your minds about how you could start giving to God. How? How you could. And if you're like, well, I want to serve, but I don't know where there is to serve. Well, guess what? We need greeters. We need people in our children's ministry. We need people in our tech ministry. We need people to serve up here on the platform with us. We need people in security. There are many ways in which you can serve. Don't use the excuse, I don't know, and no one told me because I just did. And it's recorded. And so it will be available. Right? We're recorded? I just, okay, all right, sweet. All right, just wanted to make sure. And if you're like, well, what am I supposed to give? Well, guess what? I'm not going to stand before you monetarily and tell you you need to give a certain percentage. That's between you and the Lord. I can tell you what they gave in the Bible, but I'm not going to stand here and say that you, you have to give 10%, and if you don't, then you're not a believer because I don't I don't agree with that. But you need to start somewhere. You need to start giving somewhere. That's between you and the Lord. But I'm, I want to close with a story though. Something to encourage you with. About 10 years ago, um, I finally had had... Broken down and, and told the Lord, like, God, I know you've been calling me into ministry. I know that you want me to pastor people. I know that you want me to share the gospel. I know that you want me to disciple. And up until that point, I did not want to give in. I, I told you guys before, I wanted to be a doctor. I had pursued several years of school. That's what I wanted to do with my life. And. Um, I was working a very good job and I was making very, very good money. Uh, my wife and I, um, we, we used to be able to go um, and, and I, we would come home from work and be like, hey, do you want to go out tonight? And we would just go. And like there was no, there was no rhyme or reason to the times that we used to go out as a family. And there, there was no like I have to plan for a month just to go on a date. Like it, we had the money in the bank, so just go. Hey, you want to go to a theme park today? Sure, let's just go. God God provided financially for us in that way. And God was pressing and pressing and pressing for us to to step away. And I had to walk away from my job, and that was the hardest and the biggest decision of my life because it was the one thing that was hindering me from going into ministry. And when I left my job, I took two-thirds of a pay cut to go into ministry, to share the gospel with people, to give my life for the cause of Christ. Not because I wanted people to put my name on a plaque, not because I wanted people to be like, oh, look at what he's doing. He's giving it all away. That's not why I did it. I did it to surrender to the call that God had placed in my life. And it was the hardest year after year, after year, after year of our life because we were living paycheck to paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. And sometimes we didn't even know if our bills were going to get paid. But God kept saying, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give, you need to give. And every time we gave, he provided something and another bill would just be gone and I didn't even know how. Because more often than not, we were sitting in red, large red amounts at the end of the month. Like, God, I don't know how I'm going to come up with another two grand. It's all gone. But he's like, give. Give. Look, that person in your church needs something. Give. Go help them. Go help them. Go give. Give to that. Give to this. And I was like, God, I I don't know if I can do this. And I remember sitting with Bree multiple times and I was like, Hon, I don't know what else to do. I don't have the time to go work another second or a third or a fourth job. I don't have time. But God's trust me, just trust me, just trust me, right? Test me in this, test me in this, test me in this. I'll be the first person to stand before you and tell you that has not been a cakewalk for 10 years in ministry. Financially, it has not been easy. But I can tell you right now, I would not go back and trade, but not one day, not one day, because God is faithful, because God is good, and God provides, provides for those who trust and obey. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you. We come to you, and and God, we we thank you for your faithfulness. God, we thank you for your generosity to us as, as your children. God, you give good gifts. You are the owner, the benefactor. And God, I pray that we would see that we are just the stewards. That we are just the ones that are here to to display your love and your mercy and your justice to the people around us. And we do that first by worshiping you with our time, our talents, our treasures, and our touch. And so, God, I pray in this place right now that the Holy Spirit would continue to press in to people and that, that, that we would begin to walk obediently to what you're calling us to do. And watch you bless as we're just obedient to your word. God, I pray a blessing over every single person watching this service, every single person in this room right now and even downstairs, God. As, as we begin to go out for you, to spread your word. God, you have given us a clear direction. I pray that we will walk obediently in that. And I just ask and pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.